call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode 104 of Call It Friendo, the podcast where usually two friends watch two films decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself and DJ Richie and my co-host Donna Cotillion watched the latest film from Italian director Luca Guadagnino, Bones and All. As always, the podcast contains spoilers for the film right from the start. Check out justwatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. You can find us on Instagram at Call Friendo Podcast. Drop us a line there for any feedback or recommendations. Peace. Mike Rice method. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The Mike Rice yeah. method. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm all in favor of that. How are good. you, buddy? Did you have a good I'm week? good. Yeah, I had a good time. Really? What you get up to? Nah, nothing. I'm just uh, just working, studying, doing a lot of studying, doing a lot of mastery. Are you my masters now? <laughs> my master now? I've, not I've had not to... yet is the answer, definitively. I, I'm in a job where I have to do loads of learning at the same time. It's all very startup-y. Everything's on Notion. It's frankly terrifying. But um, I also, I, I think I have a distinct advantage in the fact that I'm enthusiastic to reveal my own ignorance at every turn, where I think a lot of people are pretending. There's what some sort people of stuff who, are you learning? Basically how to organize a, a playbook for recording YouTube material. Uh, I'm trying to do that right now. So I'm doing a big, wide research field as to what works and what doesn't and what we should do and what regularity and blah, 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 blah. Oh, dear God. Uh, yeah, but I mean, it's, you know, as I'm sure you could attest from your master's uh, right now, it's uh, <laughs> education is wasted on the young. And when you're an alpha, oh, it's, yeah. actually, it's fun to learn stuff, actually. I'm so much easier. Yeah, it is. Yeah, because you kind of want to. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah th this will be good when I know this. Give me knowledge. Yeah, yeah. It's, so I'm, I'm really enjoying that aspect of it. And as I said before, I do think it's uh, like probably a mistake all too common in uh, younger folk to um, kind of dig your heels in and uh, act like you know everything. Yeah, we saw that in uh, Tar. Indeed. Why? Which young people were doing that in Tar? The kid who gets called out, he gets oh, into yeah, a big yeah, argument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He her. was actually great, wasn't he? As a, Like his performance was yeah, actually Yeah, no, no, really he was good. excellent with his yeah. shaking knee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she just did what every member of the audience wanted to do at that point. I would be... I. That's not going to win much, is it, Tar? It's like, it's just, even though it is really good, we, we shat on it a little bit, probably because people have been, you know, so, so, so enthusiastic about it. But it is a very good film. But at the same time, I, I feel it's far too cold and alienating for the Academy to get on board with it. Well, I'll tell you one thing that's not going to win any Oscars. Bones and all. Because it Bones wasn't nominated all. for it. No, it wasn't. I would have gotten this joke out of the way later, but... um. Because we, in a rather juvenile fashion, uh, play rhyming games with names of movies, and I've been calling this one Boners and Balls for so long that when I went to search for it in the great blockbuster in the sky, I searched for Boners and Balls not once, that's but twice. That's a very different film. But yes, it turns out that that's the reason, actually, that they didn't go for that title, because it yeah. turns out it's been taken by a whole franchise at this point. I think it should be Boner and Balls, just to clarify that it's one and then plural of the other. Agreed. And we're live. <laughs> well, we are live. Yeah, indeed. We got we got quite a few things to uh, discuss today, but first of all is uh, a listener request. Oh yeah, that's right. Go for from, it. Can uh, you read it out there? From from enemy of the show, Luke Messina McGinsky. Ah, he boils my blood. That Luke Messina McGinsky. And uh, he said, "Hello." Uh, yeah, this is this is this is the exact wording of what he wrote. He said, "Hello, call it friendo podcast. It's me, Luke Messina McGinsky. You know me." <laughs> 
We do, we do. That hey, guy. And uh, I want to, I, I, he said, can I give you my profile, which I think is some sort of internet dating uh, link. Okay, all right, and I'm in. Can you recommend some films? So he said he likes David Lynch, the lady who directed After Sun, which is a slam on Charlotte Wells, to not know her name. The, yes, uh, it the is. George Harriet School mean. alum. Uh, Nicholas Winding Refn, and to a lesser extent, David Fincher and Chloe Zhao. Zhao. Okay, Zhao. I mean. Zhao. Interesting. Okay, so emphasis on the first three. Emphasis. So what I what I immediately said is uh, from the Claire Denis films I've watched, I think that they could be up his street. Just I've only seen two, but even though one of them one of them is very. <laughs> you can make him watch High Life. High Life is very upsetting, Luke. I don't know if you want to watch that, but uh, Bo Trevi is. I I really enjoyed Bo Trevi. I've it's, watched it's a bit slow. Yeah, you weren't as big a fan of it, but uh, I've, I've I've watched the end scene like four or five times since. I think, I think it's just an amazing end to a movie. Oh, you remember that? Yeah, when yeah, he yeah. goes dancing. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. the rhythm of the night. That one. That's a real earworm. Spoilers. Yes, uh, we, I don't know. I mean, the thing is about the like, particularly with the likes of David Lynch. I mean, I find anybody else who's kind of playing in that ballpark is a little bit sort of just copying David Lynch, and it, it, it a lot of the time comes across as a bit of pastiche. If you follow me, I mean, for Charlotte Wells, the clearest facsimile would probably be okay, the other. Oh, Shortland? Yeah, I get. Well, Shortland would go with, with with Chloe Zhao. Yeah, I would go for mm. Ramsey, especially for the Scottish connection. But like after Sons imagery reminded me a bit of uh morver and Caller. yes very much so uh, um, and the use of sound as well and the yeah. like the imagery as well because it's all around swimming pools and shit like that yeah 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 morver and, and Caller. god i should watch that again yeah Such it's a good a great movie. it's a good film and then uh you know for the the more <laughs> negative elements obviously like we need to talk about kevin you were never mm. really here rat catcher yeah, uh, for such a talented director, it's a shame how quickly you can just rattle through her filmography. Like, she's literally, <laughs> yeah, she's it. one of the best people working today, and she's been working since the fucking 90s. Like, it's, yeah. it's what the hell? Yeah, uh, Ratcatcher is one of the most supremely grim films you'll ever see, but not in that horrible way that makes me not want to rewatch it, like with the likes of Snowtown or something like that. There's a lot of humanity to Ratcatcher. It's a lot of love. It's interesting, yeah. I would say then after that came Marvin Keller, which we've just said is a great movie. I think her masterpiece so far, I think you'll disagree with me on this, but I think her masterpiece so far is we need to talk about Kevin. I mean, it's great. I, I think that's just uh, just scarring in the most profound way. Um, but, uh, but like probably sharing the podium is what I would imagine your favorite is, is you were never really here. So yeah, I think good. as, as time goes on, we realize that we need to talk about Kevin was actually just like Ezra Miller was playing himself. A bit, yeah. There's a bit of that growing going up. On. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, he is I mean, Kevin. He's, he's had stuff come out about him, right? That he's a big fruity weirdo, right? Yeah, but he's he needs to have his face rubbed into his own shite. That doesn't happen in that. Does she not? I mean, she's like thinks about no, it. No, she definitely thinks about it. She like, thinks because yeah, he shits him, his his pants on purpose. Yeah. But like I've seen for for a film so bleak, uh, I've I think I've seen it three times because there's odd moments of just, like because th- the thing that survives the whole movie is the fact that they're kind of they're almost the same person. They're kind of inseparable, and it's like because th- she never wanted like a family. That that kind of is hinted at throughout the whole film. John C. Riley, I mean, deserves an Oscar for playing the biggest goofus in movie <laughs> history. Playing John C. Riley, like he's the one character in that movie that you could probably okay. Don't give Kevin any years for murdering him in the back with an arrow. 
Spoilers for we need to talk about Kevin, by the way. I should have said that at the start of this segment. But anyway, uh, to, yeah, to Luke, I would definitely say, the, yeah, Lynn Ramsey and also Kate Shortland would particular mention to your favorite outing, um, Somersault. Somersault, yeah, that would be up there. For the ref and for looking for someone like ref, and I would actually go for, here's my left field choice, is uh, Ryan Gosling's film Lost River. Yeah, he's kind of doing an impression of refing in that. I'm not, I wasn't a fan of that, though. I don't think a lot well, of people were. I have grown to like it over time. The Fair more enough. I think about it, it, but it is very surreal. I mean, it's like a surrealist type thing, but it's all about the imagery. Great score by Johnny Jewell. So I'd throw that in there. But I, I also went back through and just looked at like previous episodes. And these are a list of films that I think everyone should watch anyway. So I just okay. picked out some, but they also kind of fall into this Lynch, Wells, Revan thing. We've got The Lobster, get a bit of Yorgos Lanthimos. Oh, yeah. And in that case, uh, stick in The Killing of a Sacred Deer as yeah, well. which I still haven't seen. Uh, uh, Sorcerer, because again, oh. everyone should watch that. Hell yeah. Just watch Sorcerer. Just Luke. watch Sorcerer. Don't look now. Get a bit of uh, Nicholas Rogue's surrealist weirdness going on there as well. Mm-hmm. Anson D, a bit closer to the Finchery take on things. Very much so. I'd say he, basically he's a Quebecian Fincher, isn't he? Embrace of the Serpent. Yeah, that was. Not? I think that was my favorite film of that year. Deepan and then Nitram. I'd throw all of those in. Yes, absolutely. And just to throw out there as well, because for a lot of people, Nicholas Finding Ref and I suppose didn't quite arrive on the scene and, until Drive. I'm not. I'm not saying uh, that that that's you, Luke. But if if there's anybody out there who hasn't watched his um, first films, the Pusher trilogy, they're well worth seeking out. They're particularly the first one is uh i don't know just a really good idea a really good example of how little you need to make a, to make a great film if you've got your ideas in place if you've got if you're cine literate and you've got your ideas in place i love that um the first one uh, the second one is great as well and so is the third one so the pusher trilogy <laughs> so for people who like nicholas finding Refn, i'd recommend Watch the films all of, of films. nicholas finding Refn. yeah 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 what about uh, bronson and uh, the vikingy one Valhalla Rising. Um, Valhalla Rising, I remember I really liked it when I saw it. I saw it at a film festival in Ireland. And I, I suppose the really reason I really liked it is also the reason I haven't gone back to it again. Because it's mad. It's completely without structure. Um, it doesn't, it's, it's impossible to follow, really, unless you're ju- like, you're ju- all you have is the virtually wordless actions on screen. You don't know anything about anybody or what their motivation. It's it's a mad story, um, but it for kind of placing you in you know something so otherworldly as the past. I think it's very successful, um, which is why I found it a bit of a thrill back then. But I've never been able to bring myself back to watch it because it is quite a distressing film as well. It's like it's that school of winding ref and that everybody everybody thought they were getting drive when they went into Only God Forgives, but they actually got this right. Yeah. Because that's another one. Only God Forgives is certainly not for everyone. I liked it. I liked it well enough. Although there was that one scene where Ryan Gosling's about to have the fight where mm. him and the other guys circle around each other uh, for, for a about million years. three minutes. goes do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. It just slow-mo of them circling. And then he gets knocked out in about five seconds. Have you hilarious. watched any of uh, Refn's cop show that he did with Miles Teller? No. What's that called no. again? I can't remember. Um... It, like I saw the trailer that I just said, "Oof, that's pushing yeah. it for my tolerance of this kind of crack." I think Reffin's. I think Reffin's done. He's done. Kind of seems to. Be. I think he burnt too many people's money. Um, what was well, the last? Like Neon thing? Demon and the other thing. Yeah. What was the other thing again? Do you not do another series about 
the fashion industry or something like that. Well, Neon Demon or is, is about is the that fashion the industry. Or is so it's the, the cop show then I must be thinking of. Yeah. But I mean, like, I, I know he's, you know, he's lost lots of money with his projects. Here you go. I've got his uh, filmography. Yeah. So Neon Demon was his last film in 2016. Too Old to Die Young was That's the, show. the Miles Teller thing. He's got a thing coming out called Copenhagen Cowboy, which is a uh, Netflix so... uh, supernatural noir thriller series. Tail between his legs and back to Denmark. Afraid so. Couldn't handle Hollywood with the big boys, huh? This is something actually, because we brought this up on the podcast, because uh, I said I don't think S. Craig Zeller will ever make another film. That uh, That's holding strong as far as I can see. Yeah. Yeah, you go back and watch the films of S. Craig Zeller for no reason. Throw Indeed. Uh, I've got one more uh, one more recommend to uh, shout out at old um, at old Lukage. I would also recommend two films that David Lynch likes a lot, and I went back and watched them, and they are really good. Quartermass and The Pit and um, The Devil Rides Out. So these are two old as fuck, uh, well, old as fuck, they're from the 70s, um, Hammer Horror films. So that is old as fuck, actually, these days, because old yeah. is the big Lebowski. Old yes. as fuck is... That's for old people. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the Devil Rides Out and Quartermass in the Pit. They're, I don't know, they've, just, they've, they've got enough of, uh, you know, the, one of the great things about if you watch old horror, horror, Hammer Horror films, and there's too many of them to be a completist, so don't trick yourself. Just look up what the best ones are and what sort of filmmakers were working on them because what can be so interesting about them is because they were super low budget and they had the confines of genre, apart from that, people were able to be experimental and weird, which is why... You know, people feel that they explored the psychology of certainly Dr. Frankenstein and stuff in it. But The Devil Rides Out um, and Quartermass in the Pit, big favorites of David Lynch. And uh, I like him a lot, too. So I recommend those. Okay. If anyone else has any recommendations for Luke, you can uh, you can, you can can get in touch with him directly. His phone number is... <laughs> now, no, if no, anyone so... else has any questions or any, any recommendations or anything else, you can get in touch with us. Find us on Instagram. Yeah, please do. Podcast, like I say in the intro every time. We like uh, we like the questions. Yeah, they're fun. Yeah, we like to hear from people from time to time. We do I get hear some f- messages. I want to hear from you now, though, Andy. What have you been watching? I've been watching. Uh, I watched three things. I got three things to talk about in uh, ascending order of quality, which is how I do it. Oh, nice. How about you, I like. I have three things that I'm going to talk about, and ba- like basically, so. My daughter's gotten to the point now where she'll watch Disney movies, so I'll be watching yes. a lot more Disney movies, but I won't mention them unless I have something to say. Okay. Shall I go first? Please do. Well, I was uh, I was trying to choose something fairly lightweight uh, to watch during the week, and uh, I went for 2019's Brightburn. Ah, uh, yes. What if Superman was evil? That's exactly it. That's, that's mm. your premise. What if Superman bad? What if Superman bad man? Is it good? It's very so. It it was produced by James Gunn. It's a big Gunn family production. It's written by his brother Brian and his cousin Mark. Okay. And his former roommate's uh, nephew, twice removed, probably. It's all guns. It's guns all the way down. Speaking of guns, for a second, uh, did you see the video of what he's going to do with the DC uh, universe? No, he's going to make it good. I know he wants to put like he wants to make games canon, apparently. Yeah, and cartoons and use the same voice actors. Like, it's the sort of mad, but it's the sort of mad thing it's like that... Marvel. Yeah, but it, it, at, the same, in the, at the same time, it's kind of like anti-Marvel. Like, he, like it's, it's almost like he's leaning into a completely different buzz with it. It's the sort of thing that, God, I'd love to see it, but... 
I'd have to be cynical this early in the game. It's worth watching the video because he seems really optimistic. And before he gets to anybody recognizable, there's like two or three things where you're like, do you remember when the Marvel lads announced Guardians of the Galaxy and everyone was like, what the what the hell is Guardians of the Galaxy? Yeah, anyway, yeah. continue on, Brightburn. So it's directed by David Jaroveski and it stars Jackson A. Dunn as Brandon Breyer, a young boy who crash landed on Earth on a farm in Kansas as a baby, and he's been raised by his mom, Elizabeth Banks, and his dad, Roy, from the U.S. office. Nice. That's the name of the, the actor and the character. Mm. He's called Roy from the American office. Oh, so it's, uh, it's a shared universe. Yes. Wow. Gunn really was into this for a while then, huh? And his uncle is Badger, Badger off of uh, Breaking Bad. So when Brandon turns 12, he starts to develop mysterious powers uh, with devastating and tragic results. Uh, as you said, it's just... What if Superman was a bad guy, basically? So it's telling that kind of story. It has a lot of the, the gun gore of Slither and Super, and there are some really effective uh, horror tropes. But it ends up feeling a bit disjointed, and it never lives up to his premise. And that's the biggest problem, is like it's a premise that's been explored really well in TV shows such as Invincible and The Boys, to the point now where you're like, yeah, okay, I get it. And, of course... Um an excellent film one of the best superhero films ever chronicle schindler's list yeah Clara chronicle <laughs> that's right yeah 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 which I mean, we discussed many times oscar schindler was a type of superhero i suppose mm -hmm. <laughs> okay shall i go yeah so i would just say brightburn eh, it's fine it's 90 minutes the gory kills are fairly good but it's just you know it doesn't it, it wastes the premise ultimately but yeah well Tell i me, like you i like a gory kill well, then you might like this because if, if you like see if you want to see Roy from the from the office die in a gory manner, then yeah, great. He, does he still is or he still alive in, of in the universe bad. of the office? Yeah, good. Let's, let's okay. hope so. Uh, so I watched Up. I also watched Ratatouille and Finding Nemo, but I watched uh, Up, the 2009 Pixar movie written by Scott Templeton, and had a realization about it. Right. So for those unfamiliar. It's about a man who's recently lost his lifelong companion who flees a sinister Asian construction engineer in a house flown by balloons to South America where he meets a famed adventurer with talking dogs who fly planes. This film is mostly famous for an emotional montage which will destroy even the hardest of hearts uh, and such is its power that people forget that most of it is fairly daft but harmless. Almost like a, uh, almost a Lord and Miller vibe, actually, for a, for a lot of it. And every time I watch it, I find the two halves a little out of step with one another. Then I watched it with my daughter. She's enraptured, start to finish, and I see what happened. Old Templeton did it again. See, what he, he gave a great story about a grieving, grieving widower, and he, he realized his audience were children, so he gave it a bit of Dickensian color. The only difference is that getting Dickensian with a kid audience means balloons and talking dogs and planes and birds and a blimp. Uh, it's almost cynical. Not quite. It's still a really good movie, but it, it kind of suddenly made sense to me. It's like, oh yeah, sure, the, the first part of the film is such an adult story that the only way to, to balance the scales is to fill the latter half with balloons and talking dogs and biplanes and shit like that. So there you go. It's, it's really good, like, but I, f I figured out old Scott Templeton's uh, formula. How did your daughter react to the first part? Uh, she just sat there watching it. You know what I mean? She wouldn't get it. Like, there's, but like, the, the filmmaking in the first part, like the storytelling with, without words, is pretty incredible. And yeah, I don't, I don't have strong memories of Up after that first section. I, well, nobody does. Nobody remembers the, after the first 
the opening bit. Yeah, see that, and that's a problem for me. It kind of is a problem with the film. No, no word of a lie. Like it, it, the, the film, but like it's such a strong opening, ten to fifteen minutes or for, or whatever it is that you almost give it credit. And to be honest, the second half is funny. The second half, it's the second two thirds, is funny in that kind of Lord and Miller way. Like it's mm. goofy and ridiculous and stuff. But I remember like, the dog. He's got like a little translate. It's a dog, right? This guy. Yeah, yeah. I'm even questioning that. Squirrels, yeah. right? Squirrels. That's the thing. Squirrel. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. They okay, like that. okay. That's the only yeah. other thing I remember. And you say that, that the boy's Asian? Yes, that's right. He's a little Asian I have no boy scout. Collection of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a Could little Asian anything. boy scout. Indeed. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're colorblind. That's true. Yeah, yeah. All right. What? Do you, what? Are, what else you got? Well, I watched uh, 2018's Leave No Trace. That's a great film. Which. Uh, Sounds like it's that thing that what's that guy that the like uh without a trace that TV series I think Leave No Trace is a, a terrible name for this film. Oh really? Why? Because it I okay so I knew nothing about this film whatsoever. Really, the only things I knew were that uh, it has a hundred percent fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Tomatoes. It's the most reviewed film to be a hundred percent fresh. It's got like over wow. 250 reviews that are all positive. Although, of course, that means it could just be a 6 out of 10 or something from everyone or 6.5 out of 10, and it would it would get that. Uh, really? Get Is that how that press. works? Yeah, it's just that all the reviews are positive. That's it. Huh. It's not that it scores 100 out of 100. The only other thing I knew about this really was that it was Mark Kermode's film of the year in 2018. Yeah, that's why I ended up watching it. But yeah, it's Deborah Granick's follow-up to uh, to the much-acclaimed Winter's Bone. I think the title... So yeah, like I said, I knew nothing about this, but the title suggested to me that it was going to be a lot more mysterious. Out in the, in the wilderness. Or, or that something bad was going to happen. Like yeah. there was some outside force was going to try to you know hurt or kill the main characters or kidnap the kid because it's all about uh ben foster plays this military van survivalist who's suffering from ptsd who lives in his lives in the forest with his teenage daughter played by jojo rabbits thomas and mckenzie and it, it ends up it ends up just being a sort of mm, this exploration of ptsd and the relationship between a father and his daughter and the american care system and like the kindness of strangers with hints of Into the Wild or Nomad Land or something like that. That it's not really what I was expecting at all, but I really enjoyed it. I mean, I can understand exactly. It's got very, very solid central performances from the main two. They knock out of the park. And it's not the greatest film of all time, but it's easy to see why all critics liked it. It's yeah. a simple story, well told. But I didn't know it was like based on a true story. I didn't read anything about it before watching it. It's based it. on a true story. Yeah, so it's based on a novel by uh, a guy called Peter Rock, which is a good name. And that novel's based on a true story. Okay. When I watched it, I remember thinking it wasn't as good as Winter's Bone. But I would go back and yeah. um, watch this again, probably before Winter's Bone. Um, just because I remember thinking Winter's Bone. Winter's Bone is a tough, is a tough gambit. Like it's a... Well, no, actually. Because I remember what happens at the end now. And there's these horrible hillbilly sisters and they have the body of the father, don't they? Yeah, maybe I will watch Winter's Bone again. Winter's Bone, I was just uh, looking through the plot synopsis again the other day trying because I was trying to remember the plot. Mm. But it's, it's just basically like Jennifer Lawrence's dad goes for her missing dad's body. and she's yeah, yeah. trying to find him. And yeah, then yeah. she runs up against this horrible town of, yeah, kind of yeah, hillbilly meth head, meth head alopecia, basically. That's yeah. where it's said, isn't it? It's just, like it's, it's, yeah, hillbilly, it's deliverance in the cold. Appalachia. Mm. alopecia yeah <laughs> well i so watched I it oh go on 
Yeah. No, that was it. All right. It's good. Good film. Isn't it? I watched a film I bet you'll never watch. It's called uh, Cannibal Holocaust. It was made in 1980 by uh, an Italian man called uh, Ruggero Diodato. Where was it filmed? Italy. It was, no, it was shot in the jungles in Colombia. So for all those thinking that they might watch this, I'd honestly say don't unless it's out of an interest in cinema history, which is why I kind of watched it, I suppose. This Italian found footage film is the granddaddy of all video nasties. Uh, so video nasties was a term from Britain in the 70s and 80s of just it's a Daily Mail headline, ban this filth, that kind of thing, and loads of videos were banned. This is the motherfucker of, of them all. It was investigated as maybe being a snuff film. It's the story of a, document, a documentary filmmakers who disappear in the jungle while making a film about cannibalistic tribes and as the producers watched the found footage back in New York, they discovered the filmmakers mistreating the natives and figure they might have had it coming. That's kind of it. Um, so far, so good, right? And it actually is. Apart from a thing I'm about to mention, this is actually a really, really good film. And it's a, an important, like a, a clear part of cinema history. It's kind of, it's on the right side of things, but right. So listen up. The problem is that the director, in order to better sell the idea that the film was real, has the actors kill animals um, oh, yeah. to, for real it's effective and honestly the film moves at a clip and the themes work out well, th- well through the climax but there's a scene where they dismember a turtle that's just too much for me even it's unnecessary and it kind of ruins the film it's uh, undoubtedly an important part of uh, cinema history but once is truly enough for me with this I mean they should make a cut like I mean, there's scenes where they chop monkeys' heads off and stuff as well, but it's just like the, the scene where they take apart the turtle is about five minutes. And, uh, you know, the, you're supposed to basically be getting an impression of these filmmakers as cruel people, but it's just, yeah, it's genuinely, it was too much for me. And interesting besides that, there's a part where the filmmakers, uh, they, they rape a, a native girl, and then she gets impaled on a spike, and it's some of the most realistic. I don't know how they did that, but it looks real. I think I might have actually seen this. Well, a long, you, long time ago. I mean, it's quite, it's quite famous. It's, it is a very famous film. I remember the first time it came into my um, sphere of um, knowledge was when the, I think the director did an introduction to it at Phenomena in Barcelona, and I was going to Phenomena quite a lot of the time, and I almost went to that. But anyway, yeah, yeah, that's. That's it for me. I've seen it now. I'm not going to be watching it again. Um, watch it at your peril. I will not. Well, I've got one more thing to talk about. I finally uh, finished yes. off TV series. I finished off season six of The Expanse. All right. I've seen this. Spoilers for The Expanse then. Yes, yeah, spoilers Spoilers for the all the way up to the end of The Expanse. Because we're going to probably, yeah, we're going to mention some things, I'm sure. Let's fucking go. What did you think? I thought it was great. I mean, it's like it took me... Like this came out over a year ago and it took me a year to watch it and I think it was just because it had been cut to six episodes. I think mm. part of me kind of just went, oh, for fuck's sake. I saw there was a tweet a while back from James S.A. Corey, twi- the, the, the James S.A. Corey Twitter account. That's obviously, mm. he's, not, he's not a real guy. No, it's, it's a, like two, two writers. two writers yeah. who write, mm. wrote the books of The Expanse. But basically just saying like, you know, 13 episodes is the new 18 and 10 is the new 13 and 6 is the new 10. Mm. And like, you should just be thankful with what you get. We need to do more with less is what they were saying. But like... Yeah, but it was cancelled by that point anyway. They knew they were... Go- they knew they had to... Like, it's technically not cancelled though. Yeah, I know. I know that. But it kind of is. 
It is. It isn't. It isn't. I think they are going to Amazon. Amazon still own it, and they have no interest in it. Well, no. Here's the thing, because there's a thirty-year time jump between book six and seven in the series, so they've seeded things in season six which are going to be picked up. All of the stuff. Okay, That's true. We've already, we've already said spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. But there's kids on uh, on an alien planet, and then one of them dies. Scarier than anything life. in most horror films. Yeah, that shit. Some kind of like terrifying pet cemetery type action on this alien planet. They're main characters in later books after the thirty-year time jump. Like they're hugely important characters for the rest of the se- uh, rest of the book series. So at the moment, what's just happened in the last few weeks is that there was a Kickstarter for a series of comic books, which is I think it's like twelve, like a, a twelve book run or whatever. Fuck um, that! Give me my TV show. But that's going to fill in the thirty-year gap in between. In between the end of the TV series and like book seven, so the idea is that they're going to revisit this, but in time. I don't know. So, what's the best way to do it? Are Holden and uh, Naomi and all them are they in the later books? Drummer is Drummer's the president of the the agency thing. Yeah, I think Holden. I know Amos is still in it. He's he's okay. an important part. All right. So here's uh, what I felt on this one. I think you can. I think you can feel rushing in this like you couldn't oh, in any of the other series. It gets really bad towards the end. And that, that, that last co- episode, they're kind of like, fucking get in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, Cramming that, ideas in. That quite bummed me out just yeah. because, mo- more so than almost any series I can think of, like, I love the characters in this. I, every, mm-hmm. Everybody, I like them. I get, I get so inv- And I hate the villain so much. And it, it had me really, really invested. That's why when I watched the end of season five, I couldn't help myself. I was like, I have to, I have to see what happens. And it's disappointing to see it's rushed. It's still not like, you know, a big fanny fart like uh, Twin Peaks season two or something like that. It's, no, it's not that, if that's what people are thinking. It's the only issue that you would have is if you're a fan of The Expanse, you're a fan of the sort of patience it has with its storytelling, I suppose. And that's crucially missing in season six. That said, there's great stuff Still in some this. Amazing. There's some great amazing moments. Stuff. And it's, battles, also, it's, it's also one of those shows where it starts, the seasons tend to start quite slowly and then they ratchet up the tension yeah. as it goes. Yeah, absolutely. I thought the, uh, I thought it was, <laughs> it's mad the way the sun just sneaks off at the end and he's flying in space on his own. That's a little addendum. That's uh, what's well, that's the, also this? from the books, though. I, this is the thing. Well, it's thing not that... exactly from the books. Apparently in the books, he leaves earlier. He, they drop him off at like, uh, like some other station or he sneaks out when they're at a station. It's not him like, I'm going to hit the escape pod before we go through the ring. I'm going to, I'm going to watch, uh, and I'm sorry, I'm going to read those books. Because uh, I like I, I have read a, a bunch of the lore. I haven't read the plot synopses of the later books like like you have. No, I haven't read the full plot synopses, but just bits. I just read some people on the Reddit just talking about a little bit about what happens. Because I'm ju- like, uh, yeah, I, I I'm sad that this is over. You talk. I saw that you were going to talk about this today, and it made me sad all over again. Good, like <laughs> uh, good things. Now, as I said, that opening stuff on the alien planet with the creatures in the woods is scarier than. Yeah, I I was terrified watching that. Mm-hmm. Every time they went back to that planet, I was like, "Please, not the spooky cat thing." No, the cre the creature design is phenomenal as well. There must be people watching that who have no idea what that means because they they don't resolve any of that story. No, no, they don't. They don't. And it's it, it's all set up for later. But I just think I think ultimately I said this before, probably when I watched season five. But 
it was i think the the main one of the main problems that that shot that kind of shot the show in the foot was that the when the actor who played alex when he got cancelled yeah that basically like fucked the show because they had to write him out they did that really cheesy thing at the oh. end of season five where he gets where, a stroke yeah he has a stroke but they they didn't want to bring obviously they weren't going to bring him back in and film a death scene so mm. they just they freeze framed on a shot and then added blood coming out of his nose which was hilarious and yeah. then did this reshoot with all the other actors going like yeah he's dead that's yeah, it, it, like I mean, every everybody on set that day must have been like, "This is not good. Yeah. What we're doing. <laughs> this is not good storytelling." But sure, I mean, and that was like a whole thing where they were like, they had to go through everything and see whether they could carry on with it, like whether they could still have him on set or whether he was going to get uh, fired. And eventually, he got fired. But that kind of fucked the show a little bit. I think that I think Amazon probably just wanted to wash their hands of it at that point because it was just bad news. He was touching people up and stuff, was he? I don't know. Some of it was like he would go to conventions and he was... It's hard to know how much of it is like like a, like a weird sort of moral panic and how much of it is actually criminal. I'm not going to speculate. I'll let if, look at look yeah, him yeah. up. I don't, do know. I, I don't know the details, but there, it definitely struck me as one where I was like, is that illegal? He seems like a dickhead, but is that illegal? I don't know. Look out of yourselves. But I mean, it's illegal to be a dickhead nowadays. That's what happened with Josh Whedon. That's why I thought that was the funniest one. Because his Me Too thing is, hey, you know everybody thinks this guy is sound? He's actually a dick. Yeah. I think that's pretty funny. It, it, not funny in like, I'm sure it wasn't funny to the people he was a dick to, but I just think it's funny that it's, that's, you're a dick. I thought it was <laughs> yeah. quite funny uh, recently with um, Justin Roiland being uh, cancelled off of Rick and Morty. Uh, obviously, like he's actually done things which are bad, and he shouldn't work on the show. But mm. what I've what I've enjoyed is is basically anyone working on the show coming out and saying like, Justin Roiland hasn't done anything. He hasn't been he is he hasn't been in the writers' room for years. Him and Dan <laughs> Harmon don't talk to each other. All he does is come in and just voice characters. That's it. They're like they're washing their hands of him to the point where it's like Justin Roiland. Who's that? Who is that guy? <laughs> and they're they're going to try and keep the show going without him, which is also hilarious. I mean, what's his input into the? Oh, he's he's the voice of of the, Rick and Marty, of both of them. Yes. Wow. Okay, that is a but that is a, that is a pickle. Keep going. A pickle, Rick. Indeed. Anyway, good luck to them. What was your final thing? You had something else to talk about. Yes, I was true to my word. I watched Bob Flambeur. Ah, the Flamb. Yes. Uh, okay, here we go. Bob Flambeur is great. I had no idea to what extent Hard Eight was a riff on it. It's almost a remake, in fact. Next to the Samurai, it might make Melville like the, I don't know, the original king of the criminal anti-hero, let's say, which is a fine thing to be. It's the story of an old crook turned gambling addict who's a good sort, really. That's the thing. He's paternalistic with a young crook and a young hoe, pals with a cop who bossed him years ago, and he detests pimps of any ilk. So me and you wouldn't go far in his world, quite frankly. The notion of a heist is in the air, but it's incidental. It's a film about human characters, and uh, more than Samurai, it hammers home why Melville was considered the godfather of the new wave. High, high recommend. Also, sexy black and white ladies, which is nice. Um, the lack of color kind of adds 10 pounds to the party in my pants. Why is it, what's that? Why does that happen? Have you... You the boner party. No, I don't know. I just, like, I, 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 yeah, I'm asking, like, <laughs> do you, have you analyzed why that might be? 
No, I do. I find when when ladies are sexy and they're in black and white, I find it just quadruples it. Interesting. Donica <laughs> Donica dislikes people of color. That's my reading. Yeah, that's probably that's probably a fair yeah. reading. Um, anyway, you can definitely see that they're the same directors. So if you like the samurai, which you did, you would like Bob Le Flambeau. It's more sort of playful, and it's just an interesting lens through which to review the story, rather than you know through the young guy or anything like that. It's through the old fella who's just you know he's just having a good time. He just walks around the streets. This guy's a fucking know. flamber. Yeah, yeah. He well, that's that mean, that's Bob the gambler. That's what it means. He's a gambler. I thought it was yeah. like a raconteur type thing. I see. Yeah. I would though, yeah. This would get a big fat recommend for me. I thought it was great, and I'm I was planning on watching uh, Army of Shadows, but I was uh, sick the last two days. Yeah, I was going to watch that, but it's like two and two hours twenty or something, and Brightburn was ninety minutes. So, so sorry. Brightburn That's every what... time, obviously, <laughs> rather than the film about the French Burn. Resistance. I could have watched Brightburn once and two thirds times. In that I hope you did. Period. Yeah, I did. Well, I've also I... heard that uh, I was reading a little bit about. Um, Circle, Circle Rouge. Yes. And that sounds solid. I'd quite like to watch that based on what I read. Bob Flambeau, though, was not the film I enjoyed most this week. Opening with a clear statement. Yes. I was Nin- a big fan. Me, me neither. Mine was uh, Leave No Trace. Ah, fair enough. <laughs> I was a big fan of Bones and All. I was a moderate to good fan of Bones and All. There were certain moments that I felt uh from like a narrative perspective i know it's an adaptation of a book but mm. there were moments where i was like Ugh, really and uh some of the themes that it touches on i think i've seen done better in other films so okay. while, while i liked it for me it was just a solid seven out of ten which is not bad at all it is a, a good film that i enjoyed mm. watching but not great in my opinion I would move into great. I really got invested in this uh, well, very quickly. <laughs> I really got invested in this, and then I thought I thought I was getting uninvested, but then it turns out, as it rolled down towards the end, I was you know all in on the plot. Right. So you would do the pronunciation, Luca Guadagnini. Is that Luca it? Guadagnino? Guadagnino. Luca Guadagnino. Luca Guadagnino. Uh, Something who, like that. I mean, he he had moderate success before it, but he really exploded to international success in the you know highbrow world with um, "Call Me by Your Name" a few years Andy, ago. Andy, 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 Andy. <laughs> Donica, 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 <laughs> I haven't seen it, uh, but I still I know, know you have all the important parts. Yes, the peach come, everything peach, like that. Peach come. Okay, that's why so I, I never bite into a peach these days. I I I, I I have two. <laughs> this has been a lusty young boy around. How do you check? <laughs> <laughs> I squeeze it. Um, so I, yeah, I'm not as hot on that film as everybody else is. There's things that are great about it. The pacing is very nice. The locations, the music, the performance is even very good. But there's two major issues I have with it. Number Michael one, Stolberg, right? Is that not one? That's the second one. Yeah, because that <laughs> okay. happens near the end. Yeah, no. The fir- the first one is the casting of Army Hammer next to Timothy Chalamet. It just looks like a man having sex with a little boy. It's just I I f- like. I'm fair enough. He was whatever age he was at the time, but it was just it was unpalatable to me. I, How like, old is Chalamet? Because either make ha- looks like a child as well. Yeah, and no, he's still looking. That's his brand. His brand is looking like a child. Yeah, but like it, it just it, and Army Hammer is a he's like a big dude. Like you know what I mean? So it just. That to me was like just any. Whenever the story escalated their romance, it was for me. It was like, ugh, no, this is gross. 
Um, I would be the exact same way if it was Army Hammer and a teenage girl, quite frankly. Um, well, why so. didn't they cast Army Hammer in uh, this film? That would have made more sense. What, in the Timothy Chalamet role? No, I'm just saying, well, because, I mean, isn't he famously... <laughs> a cannibal. Yeah, I thought he was yeah, a that's cannibal, true, that's so true. that would make sense. Yeah, but the other part is um, Michael Stuhlberg, at the, near the end of the film, he gives this speech to um, Timothy Chalamet's character because Timothy Chalamet is all upset because uh, Army Hammer's gone away. And then Michael Stuhlberg, who's Timothy Chalamet's dad, goes, I was also gay for a summer once, <laughs> and uh, I, I was bitter about it when it ended, and I wish I'd just been able to hold on to the memory more, like that, or whatever. Yeah. And I was there thinking, going, this you know, is... I'm, I'm, I'm something of a gay man myself. Exactly. I just think that that is kind of poor writing. I think that is a cousin of the kind of writing that gets us pic Manic Pixie Dream Girls. It's just like... Uh, a gay dude's fantasy of how things might have worked out with their relationship with their dad. Like, I, and I just thought that is just horse shit. Like, I mean, deal with it, something difficult. Don't, like, I, anyway, I think that film gets away with it a lot due to the fact that Guadagnino is an excellent film director, visually, the pacing, music, as I've said. The casting is whatever is whatever issue. It doesn't bother a lot of uh, people, which is fine. I must be the problem there. But that last passage, I just thought that's just absolute total nonsense. Now, a film, his next film after that, which a lot of people shot on, I really liked because I don't Suspiria. like the original and neither do you. Yeah, I really like his uh, Suspiria, I think. And the, the, the people who shit on the new one and um, love the old one would always say he tried to give a, a backstory to it. And that's not the point. The point is Suspiria style over substance. And I think these days when the, you know, the that 70s aesthetic that they're pursuing has kind of faded from taste. Uh, you need a bit of substance. And I, I think I, I really like his take on Suspiria. Um, I would like to watch that again. And I, I really liked this. Well, the only one of his films I've seen is Bones and All. And you you weren't too hot in it. I, I liked it. I, I, I was a little concerned when Mark Rylance appeared going so far out there with that character. But when oh, see, they... I, I thought that was excellent. I didn't like that at the start, but when they brought him back around and it was clear that he just had this like mad sort of incel energy, at that point I was like, okay, that's fine. But it just seemed like a weird choice for him to be doing this over-the-top Southern character, like his character in um, Spielberg's Ready Player One that oh, kind yeah. of threw people a little bit for his... Doing that, that Again, doing that very sort of weird, slow accent. I'll never watch that again. Well, I watched it in 4DX. It was actually pretty good. This one is the one of the only films I've ever seen in that format where you're like in a like roller coaster type cinema. Hmm. Where did you see that? Where was that? That was in Edinburgh. Nice. Anyway, should we let's dive into this plot wise a little bit? I say just to, to yeah. There's a girl called Mark Marin. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So there is there is she's played by Taylor Russell. I'll do a quick run through in the plot. Right. So there's this a uh, wee girl called Marin who, by the way, is this a shared universe with the french film raw i think it might be yeah, that was uh, that was one of my when i said earlier films that cover the same territory but better if you want to see a cannibal film for me watch raw raw is a better film than this but it's also a very different film it's than very this. It's, yeah it's, it's not fair to to i mean that's the, the only thing that they No, i think it is, is fair because i think their approach to cannibalism is pretty much identical yeah. actually the the like the, that it, it goes down through generations and there's that but then also when you watch this film you're like is everyone a cannibal? Literally, of all the characters they interact with, at least half of them are cannibals. Meet people, eat people. 
I guess. Meet people, eat people, and meet people. Well, you know the way people say hurt people hurt people? Right. I think the metaphor they're going here is basically uh, victims, of, victims of abuse and abusers and, and like... Um, I just wonder if there's supposed to be some themes of like what I, I was trying to read into it going like, is it about being gay? Is it something like that? <laughs> I mean, it's, everything's about being gay with this <laughs> fellow. Let's be real. That's one of my notes here when he smooches the guy at the fair. I was like, so everybody's gay in a Luca film. That's the, that was, that's the that rule, was, is it? That was, that was by far the uh, horniest part of the entire film. Yeah, it was actually not to mention way it. more than any of the straight parts. Yeah, yeah, totally. Actually, you're dead right. Anyway, so there's this girl called Marin who's a bit of an outcast. She lives with her dad in a trailer. She goes sneaks away to a sleepover one night, and in a moment that anybody who knows anything about the movie knows is coming, bites this girl's finger off in a horrifying. But manner. again, that, that's another thing where you think that they're about to kiss or something. Yes, and then it just goes. She she instead puts a finger in her mouth and yeah. uh, goes to. This that's I think that's kind of what reads into my reading of it is because these people, the cannibals, they kind of understand intimacy differently on account of abuse. And when you meet her mother lately in the form of Chloe Savini, the most horrifying scene in the movie, that that becomes uh, apparent. Anyway, she bites off the finger, runs home to her father, and her father's like, pack your bags, we've got to go in three minutes. The, clearly they've done this before. Then the next morning or soon after that, she wakes up to find a tape from her dad, some money, and he's abandoned her. And he reveals in what's an excellent device throughout the film her story and how she the first thing she did was like murder her babysitter when she was three and then there was other people and she doesn't know he doesn't know how much she can remember but he kind of ab abandons her and kind of hopes that she can fix herself then she when she gets to uh, like as far as her bus fare will take her in the middle of the night in a very creepy inter introduction mark rylance's sully uh, stumbles upon her and says Hello. I, can, <laughs> I can smell you yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very creepy. He's giving off major um, Florida Project pedophile energy, the whole, his whole performance. And then anyway, they go to this house where he has smelt a woman who's nearly dead and he's going to wait for her to die. And then we get a solid shot of him in his vest and his briefs uh, munching yeah. a body, which is... And his, his panties. He's got his pretty, big Y fronts on. Yeah, uh, I should admit... He's also the got whole... that thing of hair. He, take, he takes like a lock of hair from everyone. Oh, yeah. It's gross. And it's just uh, a big hairy snake that he carries around. I think as well, by this point, I had noticed it. I know I had noticed it because um, I, because I, I wrote it down. Boner. No way. Uh, I think the music in this film is fantastic. The, and the, well, like... it's classic, it's classic uh, Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross. There's something to... It's very effective, though. It is you very effective. It's very creating effective. mood. It's very effective, but it's exactly the same like uh, major minor change that he uses in all of his songs all the time where I'm like, this is Trent Reznor. This is like all the other Trent Reznor songs. I feel like I could write a fucking Trent Reznor score at this point. But it, Ladies is, and gentlemen, it is still effective. Andy Ritchie, music wanker. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. I just don't. I just go, ooh, that's nice, Trent. But uh, <laughs> no, no, I still like it. I like it, but it does listening to it, I'm like, yeah, that's like the album Ghosts. Did you like the free Nine Inch Nails songs we got at the end uh, that from With Teeth? That could have been With Teeth era, Nine Inch Nails, I feel. Solid. Yeah. Yeah. Right Where It Belongs, that song. So yeah. It kind of reminded me of Right Where It Belongs. Yeah. It's quality. Oh, wait, the other thing Great I was going to say is that Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, you know the last film that they did the score for? No, but it's a kid's movie, isn't it? No. Empire of Light. The Sam Mendes what? cinema thing. I know. 
That's weird. I think that one sounds really different. I'd imagine it must. They did the yeah, score for Soul doing, as they're well. They're not doing like doo doo doo. Yeah, the Soul one was def. That was different as well. To be fair. And but also, I think like I was there first. This felt like Watchmen. Yeah, that's true. Was there? It was um... Social Network. Social Network was the first, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. But Social Network, I find that I still find tracks on that very listenable, very good. Yeah, yeah, no, it's solid. Uh, anyway. Yeah, so she escapes from what's his chops uh, from Sully. Not escapes; she just runs away because he's a big creepy weirdo. He's standing by the side of the road waving <laughs> as she as she goes, and then she runs into Timmy Two Meets, um, whose character's name is what's he called? Lee. Lee. Oh, Lee. Yeah, she runs into uh, Timmy the Chalamet's Lee, who turns out wouldn't you know it is also a cannibal. He he has a nice method. He almost gets into a fight with a guy in a supermarket and gets your man to follow him outside and then presumably eats him and steals his truck and money. Not a bad life for a cannibal. He he has he has other methods too. I don't know if you noticed those. Yeah, yeah we'll get around. to the smoochy boochin. Um then they go back to the your man's house uh, and listen to records. Luca Guadagnino loves people interacting with music in his movies. Oh yeah, they see dancing around to kiss in this one. Yeah. And there's another music scene Licking in it later up. in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those are the lyrics. I didn't, I didn't write it. Uh, yeah, he's stealing Army Hammer's dance from uh, "Call Me by Your Dick and Balls" in tribute. Mm. Anyway, you know when it, uh, you've you, even if you haven't, haven't seen, seen the it. movie, you must. Um, you know that there's that he's dancing to the the psychedelic furs. Love my way. Of course, you know what his way is. Yeah, it's eating ladies. That's what he likes. <laughs> I saw this. I saw this like a response tweet to one of the things because you know he was being destroyed online or whatever. And this guy says, "I've actually got the same thing as his, and it's not funny, and it's like you know it's a you know it's a fetish, and I can't." And as anyway, yeah. So then they hit the road. There's shades of early Terrence Malick I found, particularly with the voiceover. Badlands. And then yeah, and the the uh, yeah very Badlands actually. Uh, and then the tone shifts. Uh, very effectively into just a big romantic movie, and I and you find that the whole thing is a metaphor for weird drifter creeps in America. Well, just because of violence, or or when we're introduced to Stolberg and fucking David David Gordon Green playing yes normal man, a non cannibal who wants to eat people. Good effort. Yeah, that's like I can't believe they cast David Gordon Green. I mean, he's great in it. But like it's a weird casting choice. Yeah, that like that's a, that's a creepy scene, isn't it? Like, yeah. cause that's that's Stolberg's great as well. He is. Stolberg's yeah. really good in this. He's wearing dungarees <laughs> and just sitting there being a cannibal, bones and all. I that's when you know you are you uh, upwind from us, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and then they just drink beer and talk about eating people. But yeah, it's revealed that David Gordon Green's Brad actually doesn't get cannibalistic urges. He just watched Michael Stuhlbarg eat somebody and says, oh, I'll do some of that. Respect. And then he's, yeah, yeah, and he's eaten a bunch of people since, but he hasn't quite gone uh, boners and all yet. And that's, uh, that's, that's the thing. You're supposed to eat someone in their entirety, bones and all, and that makes yeah. you real. That's the real shit. Then anyway, um, but like... I would just like to say when people like I've seen complaints about this movie about the fact that they don't fully lean into and or achieve the metaphor or whatever like that. But I I I like it when films go for both. Do you know what I mean? What's like the be, metaphor? I think it's something to do with ab uh, abused people and abusers. Mm. I think that's what what the metaphor is. But at the same time, the like that's just a metaphor. But the story is real. You know what but I mean? Marin wasn't abused. We don't know. Like we we see her mother. 
I guess. But her mother's got the same thing. So you're saying her mother was abused. Yeah. No, well, her mother also said that she should kill herself. And essentially, you know, like her mother's a maniac. Wow. She raised some valid points. She doesn't have hands, but still. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think like I basically, like I said, I think the metaphor is there, but I think the story is also real in its own way. Do you know what I mean? There are cannibals and there are rules. It's not completely metaphorical, like something like the Babadook, which annoys me, that kind of thing these days. Even though I like the Babadook as a film, I just think, just don't be a metaphor. Be real and let the metaphor exist. But anyway, whatever. Yeah, then they get to their next town uh, because they need money and stuff. He um, opts to be gay with this guy in the fairground and cuts his throat. But it turns out the guy is a secret gay guy and he has a family. And at this point, I'm there watching the film going, and I come to the, con the same conclusions as Marin, actually. I'm like, they should kill themselves. Why does he jerk? <laughs> this is a, an important scientific question, <laughs> a film analysis, which starts, why does he jerk? Why does he jerk the guy off almost to completion or to completion and then kill him? Is that just like, I'm going to give you a nice time before having a very, very bad time? I think it's just Luca Guadagnino's direction. <laughs> just like, yeah, jerk him off the whole way, the whole way. Could have just killed him as soon as they got into the He could have, yeah. It's, but I mean, I, I didn't think of this when I was watching it, but you, you're 100% right. The straight stuff is not horny at all. That stuff is horny as fuck. Yeah. There's a lot of close-ups of that guy's face when they're, like, flirting. Yeah. He's got that kind of, like... Mm, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a hot young piece of ass. Yeah, I'll give him they're, that. they're both. They're, 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 they're absolutely uh, perfect for each other. Even though, like... Chalamet is dressed throughout like somebody who you would be suspicious of if they spent a night in your town. You'd be like, you would run them out of town with pitchforks, people like Ch Timothy Chalamet. Chalamet's very, very twinky. He looks like he, you could just break him in half. Yeah. And the other guy is like a cowboy gay. Yeah. He's real. I mean, he's like, he's got, he's a wife and child gay man. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> real. A real man. Exactly. Be gay and never tell anyone. Be a man. So I figure these guys should just kill themselves or whatever. But she leaves Lee because she can't handle the guilt that he can. We've but we've already been a little bit in his hometown by this point. We know he has a sister, Kayla. We know don't he really can't. touch on that very much. No. They do give us the backstory later that Lee killed. You get it later, dad. yeah. So at this point, Savini, yeah, her mother. Yeah, to find her mother who's played by Chloe Savini. And you also find, yeah, but you also learn that uh, Chloe Savini's character was left behind, a, like left yeah. in a bin and basically, and this uh, couple adopted her. So it doesn't I, mean you can eat people. <laughs> no, it doesn't. But that's what I'm saying. It's the abused people metaphor. Meet people, life. eat people. I thought it was a clever rhyme. I don't know, I um, like anyway, yeah, they, she, Chloe Savini has no hands and is terrifying inside this mental institution. And she gives her a letter that she wrote 15 years ago because she knew her daughter would come. And then she tries to eat her. Did you find She's, that sequence scary? Yeah, but it's a little bit like that type of thing where... She's reading the letter and gets to the end. And it, at the end of the letter, it says, like, and that's why I have to do this. <laughs> and Chloe Savini jumps up. It's like, Chloe Savini's been waiting to make sure that she's, it's like, is she at the end of the letter yet? <laughs> <laughs> she has to gauge whether or not her how fast her daughter can read. <laughs> Which is a bit sort of like, okay, all right, I go, I get it, fine, but still. Also, like the only reason that this film can work at all is because it's set in 1988. Much like we touched on last week and many times previously, if it was modern day, you can't just have like cannibals wandering around. No, no, I they'll mean, get caught. They, they'd be caught immediately. But also, like the 80s was the peak of serial killers. In the U.S., there were something like it's a right. There were like 750 active serial killers. Whereas now the number's down to like under a hundred. 
They don't hit the just gym so much. Yeah, man, it's t- it's hard. It's a hard game. Respect to anyone who's still out there serial killing because they are. Well, they're at like least goats. anybody who's who's an active serial killer. There's yeah, plenty of cou- couch potato cow- serial yeah, killers. Yeah, we're not cowards. I'm not talking about coward serial killers. I'm not talking about wannabe in their parents' basement. No, I said cou- couch potato serial killers. Okay. Not active. Well, what what do they do? They just they just they just kill Uber Eats delivery guys. Yeah, that's fine. If you can trick people to come to your home and kill them, then that's on you. That's fair. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. House. But yeah, so that's why this story works because it's the 1980s. There was nothing else to do. You had to serial kill. There you had no to Netflix. eat people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Nothing. Uh, after she gets freaked out by her mother, she decides to go and find Lee again. She uh, goes and finds him camping down by the lake. And then a mix between him and his sister, she hears, there's, hears the story that they had an abusive dad and he locked him in a shed for three days and ate him. Um, and he said he got high as fuck when he was eating him and it felt great. Then I think they just say, fuck it to this life or whatever. They go off and uh, just be nice and in love with each other. It looks like they decide to give up eating people. Does look that way. It looks like they're having a, a gay old time traveling around uh, the Midwest. Again, the, like the film... The film is beautiful, but I feel like it should be beautiful. I feel like if you're yeah. filming in the summer around the US, like it shouldn't be hard to, to have a nice looking film. I'm not trying to downplay the achievement, but I'm just going like, yeah, man. Yeah, big I'm, deal. Uh, is yeah, that what you're saying? Anyway, big fucking deal. And after their little uh, journey, they end up in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan, I believe. Yeah, in some settled down. college campus. And, they, and Maren's like working at a university. And reading a book that I've read, The Clan of the Cave Bear. She's always reading. She's, well, there's nothing else to do. It's 1980. Serial yeah. killing You can eat people or read, yeah. Those are the two options. Sometimes you can combine them. But then, of course... Oh, yeah, and somewhere along the route, actually, when she's left Lee behind, she ran into Sully Not again. Into, to old Rylance. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, that's actually the great... That's his be- the best part for me of him is the turn of when she tells him, like, no, I don't want to hang out with you. Because you're, you're a creepy weird. sexual thing. Yeah. And then he immediately goes, fuck you, cunt. Mm, dumb cunt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He Just goes full incel. That great turn, yeah. Oh, yeah, 100% incel. Um, yeah, I mean, he doesn't do himself any favors with his big <laughs> weird hair snake. Anyway, yeah. But then, of like, I don't know, part of me did entertain for a second because I'm naive that maybe that was the last we saw of Sully Sullenberger. But then we get back in to, then she comes back from work and he's in there waiting for her with a knife and all sorts of stuff, just being a horrible bastard. She's trying to uh, talk him off, but he's just so lonely. He wants to snuggle and stuff. It's weird. Then uh, then Lee gets back and they tussle around and uh, eventually they get they kill Sully, but Lee gets stabbed in the lung as well and he's dying and he makes Marin promise to eat him, bones and all. But and then we reluctant. also see like from uh, Sully's hair snake that Sully has eaten uh, Kayla. Lee's sister, yeah. Kayla. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a bit of a bummer. What's that? What's, it, what's that in need of? That doesn't do anything. What, for the plot in terms yeah. of... I mean, is that just where he's like, he definitely wants to die at that point. He's like, eat me. I feel like he'd already wanted to be eaten before that. It just feels like, an, I. Th- this is the part of the film that I don't, I feel like that whole final section is not great. Of them oh, having really? settled I liked it. down and then Sully turning up and then Marin has to eat him. I'm just like, eh, it felt like a weird resolution. Sort of rushed almost that resolution. Yeah, I don't think it, uh... I don't think it's very didactic. It doesn't exactly hand you anything. I would say, like, in terms of him wanting to be eaten, yeah, it's definitely something to do with him seeing Kayla's hair on the on on the mm-hmm. pile over there. But, he, like, at that point, I suppose... So, like, they, it seems they've decided to give up eating people, yeah? 
but they still know in their hearts that eating people is awesome. So what do they do instead? So he wants to die. Stuff. I don't know. He wants to die, but like he like so he kind of wants her to be able to have the awesome thrill of eating somebody Aye, bones and all. all. Yeah. Nice I, guy. I, I, yeah, yeah. It's kind of a you know doomed love story and all that. And but then there's that final shot of uh, her um, and him on a hill, uh, side boob city. Um, oh, that's right. She's guards up off press, mm. pressing her, uh, her her breast her, against her her his breasticles back into Chalamet's bony back. Yeah, exactly. Respect. And once again, it looks like she could almost be his kid. I mean, what is the grow up Timothy Chalamet? She could be his mother. Do people think Timothy Chalamet is like a hot piece of ass? I don't know. He's so wiry. Yeah, and I would imagine tiny. You mean height wise? Yeah. Let's have a look. How old is old? Uh, why is this? Why is this height not on his Wikipedia? How dare Who you? Know? Why are you trying to keep that from us? Must be a small man. Let's find out. Timothy Chalamet height. He is. Yeah, he's five ten. No, same as me. From yeah, oh no, I wait, I'm five eleven. I don't think he would. Yeah, me too. I'm about the same. Five eleven. That's what I say. I'm one eighty. One hundred and eighty. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he's nice not, crisp, sh- uh, not short. Nice crisp darts reference <laughs> for you darts fans out there. Yeah. There's people have been, been clamoring after darts uh, content here. Oh, wait, I was, I'll tell you the, the other film that I would recommend that covers this sort of traveling across. If you want a traveling across the country and a, like not eating people, but like absorbing them and there's like uh, creepy uh, characters like Mark Rylance, Dr. Sleep. I'd watch that instead. Oh yeah, the, I did. I th- this did have Doctor Sleep vibes. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Also, um, without any of the supernatural elements, big uh, American Honey vibes in this too. No, I haven't seen that one. Is that That's the one great. with uh, Shia the Beef? Yeah, Shia the Beef is is uh, near front and center. Andrea Arnold S- film. Sasha Lane is is uh, more front and center though. Yeah, Andrea Respect. Arnold exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great. Uh, do you have anything to say about these cast members, Andrew? Mm, no, we don't do that on these ones. What are we going to say about uh, these people? Taylor Russell. I thought Taylor Russell was fine. I don't really know her. I mean, she, I know she. Um, I know she was uh, highly acclaimed for the film Waves. Oh, that's excellent. Which I have not. Is that seen. her in that? I, that's yeah. fantastic. That film. I loved that. And um, uh, yeah, I think that was her. Like that's her big thing. But uh, she did win an award at the Venice. Uh, at the Venice Film Festival for Bones and All, she won the Marcello uh, Mastroianni Award, the legend himself. Oh, the, that's a Mr. Mr. Eight and a Half, Mr. Dolce Vita, that fellow? Yeah, yeah, that, that guy, legend. And uh, the film got a 10-minute standing ovation at Venice. Is that just because he's Italian? I don't know, but whenever I hear that, it's like anything it's that social pressure to stand and applaud when everyone is in the room for 10 minutes like it's ridiculous i only i only did two minutes when i watched it <laughs> did you i only yeah, gave I it an i gave it 30 seconds because my my wife and kid were asleep upstairs so i was like fair play that kind of thing yeah what else did we have we had obviously chalamet chalamet's going to be seen this year in dune part two yeah that's right the dunaning i mean he's had quite a few yeah quite a couple and he's of also going to be willy wonka in the upcoming right. uh, Wonka Paul film King's, directed by Paul uh, King and yeah, written yeah. by Simon Farnaby, who I don't I would, like. You don't like Simon Farnaby? I don't like his acting. Yeah, we, ah, we've covered, we covered that in the numerous films that we've seen him in with his... Uh, remember his character from... Uh, Bunny and the Bull? Yeah, Bunny and the Bull. Did not I believe care. his character was Bunny. 
That's right. Yeah. Uh, Still bark. Rylance. Yeah, we've got this. Rylance again. I mean, Rylance is great, obviously. And as I said, I was a little concerned by this character at the start, but then I think he pulls it out. He pulls it out of the bag. I mean, Mark Rylance is like, you know, he's a fucking Shakespearean actor. He's obviously one of the greats. He is one of the greats, and he's a great mates with Steven Spielberg also. Respect. And then Andre Holland, who is probably best known from his character on The Nick, which I've never watched. I watched The Nick. He plays... Uh, he's um, And he was in a, Moonlight as well, sorry, to be fair. He plays a black doctor. Um, <laughs> and, uh, which was probably quite notable then. What is it set in like the... Yeah, like early 1900s. So you, you can imagine half the plot movements that yeah. occur around him already. But it, The Nick is really good. I, I highly recommend that show. I don't like Only two that seasons, thing. Yeah, it's quite gruesome. Oh, yeah, and he was in Castle Rock uh, season one. He was Henry Deaver. I forgot about that. This is quite gruesome, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's like the thing that put me off watching it originally was just like, I don't know if I, I, I don't, I don't like cannibals. I don't wow. like, I'm really going to go on I'm, a limb there. I'm going to take a stand here and say, I just don't like, I don't like films where people eat people. Not even think, the silence of the lambs. This almost had, this almost had like more vamp, more like a vampire film thing going on. Yeah. Just because of the way they keep running into people and they're like, you've got the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. It's like, yeah, they're, they're. They're basically doing a riff on vampire mythology. Which That's was fine. I prefer mm. that. But just cannibals eating people. We, I talked about this probably when, we, when I mentioned Raw, but a f- cannibal film that I do like is uh, Ravenous with uh, Robert Carlyle and Guy Pearce. I don't know that. From like 2000. It was, I remember the original director got fired, which was a bit of uh, controversy at the time. And it's good, is it? During yes. the Mexican-American War. Wow, yes. so it's a historical can- cannibalism film. Solid. It's, got, it's scored by um, Damon Alburn. Sounds really interesting. Yeah, it's a solid film. Mm. Well, cannibal films I like. I like this. I like Raw. I like Silence of the Lambs, but that's not really. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, Silence of the Lambs is, yeah, I mean, that's like a... That's he, like doesn't re- a he, do, he doesn't really... He's only in the film for about 18 minutes or something. Plus, he... Do, he he doesn't actually eat any people in the film. No. He just he just talks. He's just he's all talk. That Hannibal Lecter. I don't mind people talking about it. That's fine. Uh, cannibal Holocaust, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know. So in the at the end of the day, in the end of the day, at the end of the day, would you give this a, a big recommend to our listeners? I give it a seven out of ten. I think it was, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it way more than I thought I was going to. Oh, okay. But right. So not. you went in with low expectations. Yes. I mean, I, me too, to be honest. Maybe, but I, I, maybe I react to my low expectations more than in a different way to you because that that that'll give me extra points on the dollar. Quite frankly, I would go eight eight point five out of ten for this. I quite liked it. Yeah. So listeners can draw their own conclusions there. Yeah, draw your draw your own fucking conclusions. I'm listeners. not fucking. I don't have time to be drawing conclusions. What are we watching for next week again? Well, next time round we are watching the, the fun double bill of Rosetta and Lulia Forever. Oh, yeah. God, I just remembered. Yeah. Luckily, they're both like 90 minutes. So it's Thank three God. hours of abject misery for you and yeah. I. Mm-hmm. What are we going to watch after that? Who knows? Will you still be in Montenegro? Yes. Well, sure, we'll figure it out when, uh, when the idea comes to us. For the moment, though, it's definitely double misery bill with Rosetta and Lilia Forever. Or is if that anyone has any... Yeah, Lilia Forever. If anyone has anything that they want us to watch next time around, get in touch. And we'll take yeah. it under advisement. I'm yeah, not, not just, we can't just blanket say we'll watch whatever you say because what if you like suggest something beyond mad? But if there's anything of, especially of recent times that you would like us to talk about, let us know. That'd be great. Yeah, we uh, we love it when you talk to us. 
rather because <laughs> it just feels like speaking into the void otherwise I mean that's what it is I like, like ta- talking to Andy in general it's yeah, like exactly. just a, an emotional void right in front of you okay but uh, apart from all of that stuff I just said uh, I love you very much bye love you too. bye